As we stand together, let's pray. Well, Father, we have sung the good news. We have celebrated the good news. And now we ask that you would help us to hear it and to receive it afresh. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I have some very happy news to share with you this morning. In case you haven't heard it yet, I can promise you that this news is the very best news you will ever hear in your entire life. I have the privilege and the joy of sharing with you the news that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. There was a tomb outside of Jerusalem that used to have a dead body in it. There is a tomb outside Jerusalem that used to have a giant stone rolled over the opening to it. That stone has been rolled away. There is no body inside of that tomb anymore. As of this morning, as of right now, we can celebrate the truth. Alleluia, Christ is risen. What? The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. We can celebrate that this news is true. Now, if you know me at all, you know I love quoting old hymns. One of them is an Easter hymn called The Strife is O'er. And it goes like this. The strife is over. The battle done. The victory of life is won. The song of triumph has begun Alleluia. And I love the next verse. It says this. The powers of hell have done their worst, but Christ their legions hath dispersed. Let shouts of holy joy outburst. And I think you know what the next word's going to be. Alleluia. You got it right. Jesus is alive. Jesus is victorious. Our King Jesus Reigns. We believe that this morning. We are audacious enough to believe that Jesus went to the grave and conquered it. We believe that what Jesus did on Good Friday was go to the cross victorious. And he took our sins upon himself. And he took our guilt upon himself victorious. And he nailed our sins. And he nailed our guilt to the cross victorious. We believe what happened next is he went to the grave and he was buried in the grave and he rose from the grave victorious. And that when Jesus was crucified, that when he was buried and that when he rose, he reversed the curse that had enslaved God's people. We believe in the victory, the conquering victory of Jesus Christ. In the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus is described as saying that he holds the keys in his hand, the keys to death and hell. Jesus reigns over them. And so that's why I am so glad you're here this morning, each one of you, uh, those of you who want to be here, and those of you who were dragged here, I'm glad you're here. Those of you who believe in this good news and those of you who would say that you're skeptical, those of you who are confident in the promise of life after death, and those of you who are just confident in the promise of lunch after church, whatever the reason is that you're here, I'm glad you're here because there is nothing I would rather you hear than this simple but life 
changing truth that Jesus is alive. Because of that, because it's true, because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, the risen Lord greets you this morning, every single one of you. The risen Lord Jesus greets you this morning and he offers you real life. He offers you real hope in the midst of real darkness, in the midst of real grief, in the midst of real fear. And so that's why I think it might be comforting to you to know that the whole first half of the Easter story is defined by fear. We just heard it a few minutes ago from Matthew 28, Sunday morning, it's just before the dawn, and the two Marys go to the tomb and they're gripped by fear. They're not skipping there, they're not galloping there, there's no bells in their hands, there's spices in their hands to anoint the dead corpse of Jesus who they would have just seen publicly executed in the most horrific way imaginable. I bet when they closed their eyes, I bet when they tried to sleep, all they could see was those scenes. I bet they could still hear it. I bet they could still smell it. They were gripped by fear. I think we can sympathize with the two Marys. And then there's the soldiers. They're guarding the tomb, and there's an earthquake. If you've ever been in an earthquake, you'll know that earthquakes typically elicit some degree of fear. And if, as if that's not enough, then there's supernatural phenomenon going on. Uh, the writer of this gospel, Matthew, describes an angel descending from heaven. He's strong enough to roll the stone away, and he's also confident enough and calm enough to then just sit on top of the stone. And the guards are watching all this happen. Matthew describes the appearance like this, like lightning, and uh, the, the angel was like lightning, and their clothing was as white as snow. I think we can sympathize then with the fear of the guards, the incredible fear that seized them and the women. Fear is the soundtrack to the first half of the Easter story. Here's why this should be comforting to us this morning. Because Easter doesn't sweep fear under the rug. Jesus doesn't sweep fear or grief or darkness under the rug and just wish it all away. If fear was a person, what Easter does, what Jesus does is he, is he takes fear by the hand and he says, look up, fear, I want to show you something. I want to introduce you to someone. I'd like to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verse five, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said. So what are you afraid of this morning? What areas of fear or grief or weeping or darkness have you brought in here this morning? All that we're doing this morning, the singing and the celebrating and the dancing and the ringing of bells and the candles is not to wish all of that grief away or to sweep all that fear under the rug until an hour from now when you go back home and it all meets you again. The good news of Easter, the simple good news that Jesus is alive means that all of your fear and all of that darkness and all of your despair and all the death and all the very real danger of this world is swallowed up in Jesus' victory. 
Today is a day of victory. It's a day that resounds over all other days, past, present, and future. And the risen Lord greets you this morning, and he greets you in the same way he greeted the women outside the tomb. Here's how Jesus greets you this morning. Matthew 28, verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. I love that. Can't you just picture the brightness in Jesus' eyes? The joy, the warmth as he sees these two women. Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. The feet that they would have seen hanging on the cross. The feet they would have seen bloodied and pierced with nails. They take hold of his feet and they worship him. And then Jesus said to them, here's what Jesus says to them. And this is what Jesus says to each and every one of you this morning. Four words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And because of this, I'm going to very much intend to make an Easter pun now. Because Jesus is alive, you can put all of your eggs in his basket. Okay? Because it's true. Because it's true. The shock waves that originated on that Easter morning are meant to impact every single one of us, every single part of our lives. That's why for the next several weeks as a church, if you'd like to come back, we're going to keep celebrating Easter because this good news is so good that it changes everything. One of the ways we're going to keep celebrating Easter is by looking at one chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, because it helps us see how this day resounds over all other days. Vicki read uh, the first 11 verses to us from 1 Corinthians 15 just a little while ago. If you want to look at it with me to make sure I'm not making this up, you can. It's on page 961 in your pew Bibles, or I'll just point out a few brief things. I want to draw our attention to how the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, points to the events of this weekend as matters of what he calls first importance. And these matters should really matter to us if we want to have any kind of real hope in this world. Not hallmark hope, not sentimental hope, not religious hope, not even conditional hope. What we need is real hope based in and anchored to a real and risen Jesus. The first matter of first importance that Paul points out to us is that Jesus really did die. Jesus died. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried. Jesus died. Jesus' death and burial is a historic fact. It's a fact it was a public execution. It was witnessed by hundreds, if not thousands of people. It was chronicled and corroborated in multiple, incredibly reliable historical documents. Jesus died as a fact. We believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is not only a rock-solid fact, but is also the rock-solid foundation of our faith. Because Jesus, by his death, destroyed death. Jesus had to die so that he could destroy death. 
Jesus, by his burial, by being buried in a grave, broke the power of the grave. And what Jesus accomplished on Calvary and in the tomb was the utter and total and absolute victory over death. Victory over sin, victory over darkness once and for all. So Paul points out to us the first matter of first importance is that Jesus died. He died a victorious, atoning death. The second matter of first importance, if you see it with me in 1 Corinthians 15.4, Paul writes that Jesus really did rise. Verse 4, that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Not only did Jesus foretell his resurrection in multiple places in the gospel, but centuries, centuries, centuries earlier, the prophets foretold the resurrection of the Messiah one day. Jesus' resurrection wasn't a trick. Jesus' resurrection wasn't some kind of massive fraud. Jesus' resurrection on the third day was in accordance with the scriptures just like his death was. If you see in verse three, Paul says that Christ died for our sins, quote, in accordance with the scriptures. And then you see the same thing in verse four. He was raised on the third day, quote, in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what I'm trying to point out to us is that Jesus's death was not an accident. Therefore, Jesus's resurrection wasn't God trying to fix an accident. It wasn't as though on Good Friday, God the Father saw the death of his only son and was surprised and had to think for a few days how to fix it, and then the resurrection came. No, from the beginning of time, God knew that the Lamb of God must be slain for the sins of the world and that the Lamb of God would rise on the third day. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and it was all God's plan to accomplish God's purposes. And then Paul gives us the third and final matter of what he calls first importance. First Corinthians 15, five, that Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared. He really did appear in his real body to real people. He really did. We already heard in our gospel reading from Matthew 28 that the first two people that Jesus appeared to were women. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and this alone is reason enough to believe the Bible's account of the resurrection as reliable. Because in those days, and in that culture, unfortunately, the testimony of women would have been considered inadmissible. So if you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're sitting together in a coffee shop, trying to get your stories together to make up some sort of massive fraud to pull on all civilization about the resurrection of Jesus, you would not say, if you're Mark, you wouldn't stand up and say, I know how we'll convince everyone of this massive lie. We'll say the first two people at the tomb were women. You wouldn't have made it up that way. This is reliable. Jesus appeared first to two women, then to the terrified guards you go further in Matthew 28, you know the guards start talking about it once they wake up from their coma. And the authorities bribe them to keep them quiet. But now back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. Jesus also appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12, then to more than 500 brothers at one time, 
Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. I'm not very good at math, but I'm counting about 530 people at this point that the real resurrected Jesus in a real body really appeared to. And then he appears to Paul. Acts chapter nine literally knocks Paul off of his high horse and he confronts Paul. He calls him to himself and he changes Paul's life forever. If you have eyes to see him, if you have eyes to see the real resurrected Jesus, eyes of faith to see the real resurrected Jesus, he has a way of changing your life. So here's my point about all this. The resurrected Jesus appeared to so many people and his appearances were verified and documented and witnessed by hundreds of people that I can stand before you today on the authority of the word of God and I can promise you that this is the best news you will ever hear because it's true. If what I was sharing with you this morning was a fable or was a myth or was a fraud, it would be the greatest travesty of the world to base all this on a lie. To have real hope, you need a real resurrection. To have real light in the midst of real darkness, you need a real resurrection. And what we celebrate today, on this day as the church, on this Easter, we celebrate that our real King Jesus really rose and he offers us real hope. Only a real resurrection gives you hope. A little over a month ago, Chad Scruggs, who's the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville preached a sermon out of the Gospel of John, drawing from chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Chad described Jesus as death's conqueror. I love that. Death's conqueror. That was the title of his sermon. And he looked at how Jesus showed in one part of that story of Lazarus his absolute hatred of death by his tears. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus wept. Jesus could weep over death even though he himself was the end of death. Jesus could weep in the middle of the story even though he knew the end of the story. He wept even though he knew. He shed tears even though he trusted. Towards the end of uh, his sermon, Pastor Scruggs made that point, and here's what he said, quoting him. A strong confidence in the end of the story does not undo or justify the absence of grief in the middle of the story. Two weeks ago, tomorrow, Chad and his wife, Jada Scruggs, lost their nine-year-old daughter, Hallie. I can't even imagine the depths of grief and emptiness that their family and far too many other families now have to live with for the rest of their lives. But the day after they lost their daughter, Chad released a one-sentence statement. And here's what he said. Through tears, we trust 
that Hallie is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again, period. Through tears we trust. That's what this is. Through tears we trust. The tears are real and the trust is real. Our fear, our grief, our darkness is taken by the hand. It's not wished away. It's not happy clappied away. It is taken by the hand and pointed to the real resurrected Jesus. Later on in 1 Corinthians 15, we read this in verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory, not in wishing, not in emotionalism, not in hoping. Death is swallowed up in what? Say it. Victory. Victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? We laugh in the face of death. We mock death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection sent shockwaves across human history in all directions. Across all creation, into every dark place, across every cemetery, into every grave, into every place of grief and loss and heartbreak. Jesus' one single heartbeat that morning on Easter, there in that tomb, sent ripples of resurrection power exploding across all of time, rumbles of triumph, of victory, of life from death. And I hope you can at least in some way feel those shockwaves this morning as we gather here for worship on this Easter. We can feel the shockwaves of Easter in our own hearts, in our own places of weeping. These three simple truths that we see from 1 Corinthians 15, real truths that change everything for us. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus appeared. And because that's true, it means that now, right now, the blazing light of our risen and reigning king outshines all the darkness and all of the despair and all of the dangers of this world. It means that death no longer has the final word. The grave no longer has the final word. Who has the final word? Jesus has the final word, praise God. Jesus has the final word. So open your eyes to see him today. Lift up your heads and behold your risen, reigning king. Our king Jesus lives our King Jesus reigns. Our King Jesus is death's conqueror. And the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Get your bells ready. Get your bells ready. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
Amen. Let's stand together and let's profess our faith now in the words of the Nicene Creed.